Hello and welcome along to the Golf Shake Podcast. My name is Kieran Clark and I'm joined once again by my very favourite Golf Shake ambassador, Mr. Matt Holbrook. And Matt, this week, you know, it's kind of late September. What is there to really discuss? So Matt, this week on the Golf Shake Podcast, what are we going to talk about? I have no idea. Yeah, morning, Kieran. Um, I don't know. Not much has happened. Um yeah, nothing happened over the weekend. We've got nothing really to look forward to this week. So I'm not no. too sure where we're going to go with this podcast. No, you know, as I often ask myself, why are we even here? You know, that's it. Why are we doing this? There's nothing to talk about. No, of course, as we all know, uh, it was quite a almost stratospheric end to the, the PGA Tour season as has seemed almost inevitable all year with his incredible performances and kind of his supremely impressive comeback this season. Tiger Woods ended his uh, PGA Tour calendar year with a victory at the Tour Championship. He didn't quite come through and uh, win the, uh, the FedEx Cup. That honour went to you. To now the ex-world number one, Justin Rose, who won the big money there after birdieing the last hole. All the mathematics were in the air and people were kind of wondering, could Tiger pull off the, the seemingly impossible? But it wasn't to be. But two big winners, obviously, Justin for winning the FedEx Cup, really a testament to his season, uh, his, his, you know, his, his consistency this season, becoming world number one, albeit briefly, winning regularly on the tour. For the last sort of 18 months, Justin has been, you know, been fantastic. And uh, this is kind of another feather in his cap to join all the other achievements that he's accrued in recent years. But with Tiger Woods you know, coming through there and winning the tour championship, he just looked very assured, brilliant over the first three days, was three shots ahead. Rory and Justin Rose were his nearest challengers. Uh, but over the first five or six holes on Sunday, you know, Tiger came out, played a very supremely assured, you know, in- intelligent, smart round of golf, hitting the fairways, hitting the greens, and on Eastlake, that, that golf course there, it's one of the few PGA Tour venues where hitting the fairway is absolutely paramount because the rough is quite treacherous. You know, Tiger hit five out of six fairways over the first seven holes. You know, Rory and Justin could barely hit any. And consequently, Tiger edged ahead, and really it was his solution there. And with his incredible experience, he even though he wobbled a little bit later on, he never really looked like throwing it away. But obviously, a, a stratospheric win for Tiger Woods. And you know, the scenes at the end there when the massed crowds—it was reminiscent of one of those old opens that you see in the the highlights from days gone by when the crowds came at the end, walking behind the leaders up the last hole. You know, incredible colours, incredible atmosphere, something like. I've never quite seen, certainly from an event like this, which is generally in recent years been quite quiet. You're seeing the full kind of scale of the Tiger Woods effect right there. Uh, but you know, but Matt, looking at this, sort of separating ourselves from the kind of the analytical side of it all, just delving into the emotion of it. You know, Tiger Woods. We all know where he's come from over the last few years. He's come from. You know, his his career had gone down the toilet. It was gone. He was he appeared to be finished. You know, I know people are kind of coming out and saying, "Well, I told you so." He was always going to come back. Well, the reality was that pretty much everybody who really thought about it doubted him coming back. Even he himself thought he was finished. As we all know, last year, uh, Nick Faldo revealed that Tiger at the Masters Champions Dinner in 2017 said he was done. He didn't think he was coming back. He thought he was finished. Uh, everybody, with what he's come through, injury-wise, four back surgeries, the psychological humiliation of what happened to him nine years ago after the scandal. Then, of course, what happened to him with the issue of the arrest last year after being being you know really not even knowing who he was, practically even knowing which state he was in. And Tiger's overcome all this, the apparent chipping yips that came from the, the pain of his uh, injuries. 
a guy that could barely walk. So he dealt with physical trauma, mental trauma as well. He's overcome all that. He's won this. You saw what it meant to the crowds in attendance there uh, in Atlanta, but also to people online, people watching on television. Uh, it was just an incredible social media reaction, kind of harking back to the golden days of uh, golf Twitter, I guess. So Matt, as kind of the, the emotional side of it, how did you feel watching Tiger Woods you know, win this event in the manner that he did after all he's come through? Just how significant a moment did that feel last night? Um, I, I think, I think, given given all the factors that that you've just mentioned, Kieran, I, I think to be honest, it's quite possibly one of those sporting events that we're still going to be talking about in ten, fifteen, twenty years time. Mm-hmm. You know, where was you when Tiger Woods got his comeback win? You know, what what was you doing? Where was you watching it? Um, you know, when 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 you consider what he's been through, where he's been, the journey that he's been on, um, you know, it's just it's it's crazy to even comprehend where he was this time last year compared to where he is this morning. Um, and I do genuinely believe that this is one that we will talk about for years and years and years. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, when Tiger came back, you know, even as we all know, people who follow social media will see all the the, the tweets from just over a year ago when Tiger was just getting back into practice. He was chipping, he was hitting iron shots, he was sort of progressing along, obviously. He returned at the Hero Challenge, uh, his event in the Bahamas there. Uh, as he'd done before, his previous comeback had been a dismal failure. That appeared to be his last chance, but once again he emerged after the back fusion surgery this time. Looked, he looked five years younger when he emerged at the start of the year. He looked far better than what he had done for many years. He looked healthier, he looked happier. He looked physically able to actually you know, do what he wanted to do, the practice to play. And through the year, we've seen his performances get better and better as time's gone on. He's come close to winning a couple of times. Obviously, we all know at the Open this year, at Carnoustie, he led. Uh, just going into the back nine, obviously had a couple of really dismal holes there that kind of ended his challenge. And obviously, Francesco Molinari came through and won. But that was really underlining that Tiger was back at the highest level, of course. At the USPGA Championship just a few weeks later, it was really only the resolute uh, steely nerve of Brooks Kepka that denied Tiger a win there, a 15th major after his last round there of uh, 64. So, you know, Tiger has been edging towards this this win for some time now and it seemed inevitable and it was always going to happen but it, it didn't really d- diminish what it meant because as you said there Matt you know he's you know, Tiger is a figure who transcended golf when he emerged two decades ago he was this extraordinary figure who you know did, did, did incredible things played the game in a way no one had really quite seen before he made golf accessible and cool and all the rest of it because he has for all his apparent personality flaws and people can dislike Tiger Woods for whatever reason and much of it is justified through the years, but Tiger has this charisma. He has this air about him on the golf course where you feel it when you go to an event in person and see him play and also watching it on television where he invites you into his experience. You know, he he's, he's very expressive on the golf course. He will show you when he's unhappy or when he's happy or when he feels you know, elation. And he's not robotic that way. And people engage with that. And you throw in the fact that he was just incredibly good. It makes him this this incredible sporting figure. And to see him roll back the years like this and to see off you know, Rory McIlroy, who in many ways is kind of a, you know, he's a tiger disciple. He would have dreamed of contending and competing in a big event alongside Tiger Woods, his childhood hero. Obviously, the result wasn't what he would have
wanted. But the story was obviously Tiger Woods and really the kind of the weight of history and weight of significance, I think, almost overwhelmed that final round, which very much felt like a the last day of a major, not the kind of end of season shootout as it has often become for the top 30 players on the ranking. So, you know, just looking at Tiger, Matt, and uh, I think you're right there in terms of this event feels, you know, whatever happens from here, we've seen Tiger Woods win again. And that only a year ago would have seemed to most people a very unlikely outcome, uh, even to him himself. And um, to have this moment now in history, we've, we've, we've had that again. It almost feels like his comeback is now to some extent complete. Obviously, he himself would say, well, until he starts winning majors again, um, it's not going to be fully complete. But just uh, you know, your last thoughts on, on, on Tiger winning at Eastlake, coming through there, and uh, you mentioned, obviously, this is a moment that you'll feel forever. But Tiger's won so many events, you know, 80 on the PGA Tour, 14 majors, 18 WGCs, all the rest of it, all around the world. He's done so many incredible things. But with all that kind of weight of what's happened to him over the years, you know, where do you think this win, not specifically, but do you think this win has to be placed in the upper bracket in his entire career in terms of what it meant to him, to us, to everything, in terms of what this mean, sorry, this win, where do you think it sits in Tiger's incredible you know, uh, CV of, of uh, achievements? Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's really big. I think it's really high up there. Um, I think that you, you know, you, you'd always look at your first major championship, for example, and that would, you know, quite easily be um, probably number one. That's that's what all golfers want to achieve. That's the holy grail to those guys. But listen, if this gets into Tiger's top five, top three wins, I wouldn't be surprised. And and I think that happens for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, given given what we've what we've previously discussed. Um, but I think from a from a psychological point of view, because um, you know nobody knows more than Tiger himself what he's been through. Um, you know, let's let's you know kind of state the facts. We're we're purely spectators, and we only know what he wants us to know, what we see in the press. Um, you know, so we don't know the the complete ins and outs of everything he's been through. Um, but I think what this victory does for him, firstly, it's you know, it's, it's probably a couple of fingers up in the air to, to all of his doubters, all of the people who said that he was finished, all of those that, you know, completely just wrote off his chances of, of ever competing again, let alone winning. Mm. Um, you know, I've seen I've seen a couple of things on social media already, which is which is nice to see now of, of people, you know, video clips, interviews, Tiger should retire, Tiger's done, his health's gone. Um, and you know what? Yeah, t- two fingers up to those guys this morning. Um but I don't, I don't think Tiger really cares about that. Tiger being Tiger, I think the incredible mental strength and the will to win that the guy's got, um, I, don't, I don't think deep down he's really bothered about that sort of thing. You know, this guy is a born winner. He wants to win. He wants to win more majors. Um, and, you know, let, let's be honest. I mean, everybody now this morning is saying Tiger's back. Tiger's been back. Tiger's been back for a while now. He's competed in majors this year. He will compete in majors again next year. Um um, and and you know it, this is this is the maybe the, the foundations to the the second part of his career. You know, it's, we 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 see golf is a game where you can compete. You know, well into your forties. Um, you know, some into your fifties. Mm-hmm. So why why not? He's he's still got plenty of time in front of him. He's still got plenty of opportunities to go and win more majors. Um, would I bet against him winning a major next year? Absolutely not. 
Absolutely not. I think he's got every chance. I think he's actually been installed now as a second favourite to win the Masters <laughs> behind Jordan Spieth. Oh, really? Who's <laughs> yeah? Who showed you know pretty much zero form to, on, to, to his own to his own standards. Yes. Um, lately, yeah. So he's he's second favourite to win the Masters. Um, and look, what what does it do for golf? Everybody's buzzing this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, p- people that have always believed are celebrating. People that didn't believe are, you know, eating humble pie for breakfast this morning. Um, and I'm sure it tastes pretty sour. Um, but you know, it's, 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 it's great for the game because it's got us talking and, and the scenes of the, of the crowds running up the 18th behind him yesterday. Um, you know, it, it was literally like you you'd switched on the TV and they were showing a rerun of, of a, an event in the year 2000. Yes. Um, you know, it was it was scenes that we haven't seen, and there's there's nobody else that can do that in golf. I think over the past few years, we've almost wanted somebody to to take the game forward like Tiger did. Um, whether that would have been Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, Dustin Johnson, um, no one. No one's really gonna is is gonna get hold of the game like like Tiger was did and, and kind of you know you, you're not gonna see those those fans running up behind anybody else. That's how important he is to the game of golf, and I think golf needs Tiger. Uh, 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 you know this Tiger, golf needs this Tiger Woods just as much as what Tiger Woods needs golf. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it there. And you know, golf needs this Tiger Woods. You know, had we had the Tiger of the last four or five years who came back, struggled, got injured, left the game. You know, he shot 85 and won rounds at the Memorial where he'd won many times. He came in 2015, you know, he missed a cut in three of the majors. Uh, he struggled here at St Andrews during the Open that year. He'd looked a shell of his former self. And how we continue to see that Tiger Woods, it would have been quite a sad kind of sideshow to the main event of golf. But the fact he's now back as a competitive player, as one of the best players in the world and um, that's an incredible thing. And I think whatever people may think of Tiger Woods through the years, his career and what he did and what he achieved and what he meant to the game, it deserved a better ending than what it looked like it was going to have. You know, Had it continued in the spiral that it, it was in, it would have been a very sad, uh, tragic end to an extraordinary career. And it would have been one of those things that people would constantly look back on and say, you know, what if? But now we have Tiger Woods back, competing, winning, contending in big events. He now looks capable of you know, having that sort of Jack Nicholas, the Masters in 86 moment where he comes through and wins. You know, but right now, you know, Tiger's one of the best players in the world, and you know, Jack wasn't at that time. But it, you know, it gives us hope that Tiger can now be a factor going forward. And that elevates everybody else as well, because now all these guys, these younger players that you mentioned there, Matt, you know, they're now going to be competing against Tiger Woods, and that elevates their profile, their status, and it gives them something to kind of aspire to as well. Um, so I think it's a wonderful kind of gift for the, for the game to have Tiger back in this form. And just from a, a sheer human point of view, it's very clear you know, that Tiger Woods was in a very dark place for a long time. And I think it's wonderful, for just, just from that perspective, that he's now out of that dark place, is now able to enjoy his life again uh, and now do what he's always done, which is you know, play golf and play it well and win. And uh, you know, he has the brain of a genius. He now has, you know, physically he's now able to kind of exercise that 
brilliance he has mentally and technically. He's almost, he's again somehow relearned another swing almost to play the game. You know, Tiger's reinvented himself three or four times throughout his career. No one else has done that, and that underlines his you know his immense will to win, his mental strength, his work ethic, everything about it. You know, he's just. No, he's an extraordinary sportsman. And the thing is, why people are so connected to him, which I always think is people love greatness. People will watch, people who aren't tennis fans will watch Roger Federer because he's the best player ever. People will watch any individual sport where Usain Bolt, people will watch you know, you know, athletics when Usain Bolt is there because of who he is, because he's the greatest he's ever been. And, and he's done things no one else has done before. And Tiger's very much like that too, where people connect with greatness. And to have that back is just a wonderful thing and um, an incredible end to the PGA Tour season. Obviously, we have to mention Justin Rose. You know, what a, a year he's had. And he's obviously won the FedEx Cup, another great achievement for him to join the, the rest of them over the past few years. You know, Justin evenly lost the world number one spot again. He's going to get that back, I'm sure, very soon. And uh, he's shown once again that he's uh, one of the best players. And uh, again, a guy who... Is still, you know, steady. You know, again, a, a really inspirational career in so many ways too. Obviously, after missing twenty cuts as a professional when he he, he first turned pro back in the back in the day, so he's overcome that. You know, that terrible start of his career, done so much since then. Always handles handled himself uh, in a consummate ma- manner. He's kind of the ultimate golf pro. And also on the European tours, to quickly mention Tom Lewis, who came through and won the Portugal Masters for a second time, which came from really not so much from nowhere, but a few weeks ago, this would have seemed almost unthinkable. You know, Tom Lewis, who, of course, people will remember, he was the low amateur at the 2011 Open at Royal St. George's. He'd won this Andrews Lynx trophy that year. He was one of the best amateurs in the game. He turned pro later that year. He won his third event, which was the Portugal Masters. But really, since then, his career didn't really take off. You know, he struggled. He lost his card. He's come back. He's lost his card. He's just uh, he's drifted around, fallen way down the ranking outside the top world's top six hundred. But he came back recently. He won the Bridgestone Challenge on the Challenge Tour. Back in this event, obviously a former champion, and he won it there again. So a, a wonderful story. He's still only twenty seven years of age. You know, potentially many years ahead for him. And uh, you know, Matt, you had some thoughts on that when before the podcast we started recording so before we got into the Ryder Cup chat obviously because everybody it's the Ryder Cup this week in case you didn't realize that but yeah moving on to that very soon but firstly Matt your thoughts on uh, Tom Lewis winning uh, this event but obviously winning in the Challenge Tour and putting those two wins together and really resurrecting his own career yeah I think um before before I, I touch on Tom Lewis as well I mean you you mentioned Justin Rose there and I think um I think it'd be remiss of me not to just just quickly say something on Justin Rose because this 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 guy in himself is is such a such a fantastic success story mm-hmm. um given his given the start that he had in um in in professional golf and and missing all the cuts and you know and you look at you look at where he you know the journey that he's been on as well and to be honest, I think if Tiger hadn't have won yesterday, we'd be sitting here and we would have spent the first 15 minutes of the podcast talking about Justin Rose and his achievements and, um, you know, the fact that he'd, he'd got himself up to world number one. I know he's lost it for, in my opinion, what would be a short period of time because, you know, I see I see um, there's there's a Twitter account I follow where they post, um, like, historical world top tens in mm-hmm. golf. You know, this was the top ten in the world 10 years ago or five years ago. And every time I see them tweet, I see Justin Rose's name in there, everybody around him. And it just feels like he's been in the top 10 in the world for as long as you can remember. Um, And I think that's a testament to how consistent he is, the hard work that he puts in. Um, You know, and actually when when you look at, 
um, as far as a golfing CV is concerned. You know, this guy's a major champion. He's won Olympic gold medals. He's been world number one. He's won Ryder Cups. Um, you know, I, I don't know there's much more for him to achieve um, in the game that he hasn't already achieved. I'm sure that he would want to add to his, you know, add to his major tally, um, which every time Augusta comes around, I, I think that he's got a chance because um, he always seems to play well at the Masters. Um, so I think, yeah, I think, you know, I think we, I don't think we should overlook what Justin Rose has achieved, um, fairly recently. So I thought I'd just, I'd just throw that in, but, um, yeah, Tom Lewis as well, you know, again, it's another great piece of news for the game of golf and it's another great story. Um, and I actually saw him, um, two or three weeks ago, um, at the, at the Bridgestone Invitational on the Challenge Tour. Um, and that, that kind of makes you realise just how, I want to say just how difficult it is in, in this game to kind of, you know, be consistent. And I think that in itself shows the achievements, what Justin Rose has done. It, it, it kind of adds to that weight. Um, you know, but he won, he won at the Bridgestone, uh, Bridgestone Challenge on, uh, Bridgestone Invitational on the Challenge Tour. Um, and that, and that kind of come out of nowhere for him really in terms of his form, the year that he's had. Um, but it just goes to show what, what winning and what playing well can do for your confidence. And obviously he's gone into this week um, at, a, at, a, at a, an event on a course that he knows and that he's played well around previously. Um, and it's pleasing to see, uh, yeah, it's pleasing to see Tom get, get his, uh, get, get, get another win on the European tour. And, um, you know, I'm sure that will secure him some playing privileges for the next year or so. Um, so yeah, so good, good to see him back. Good to see him in the winner's circle again, because obviously he's, he's, he's talented, but you know, it's also interesting to see just how, how important that, that confidence and momentum is, um, in, in this sport. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, Tom's overcome some, uh, some demons of his own with his game and really struggled there doing some dark days for him when his, his game, which seemingly came so easy to him, uh, just drifted away, but he somehow, he's retrieved that back and hopefully now this is going to be the, his career from here is going to push on like we hoped it would have done six or seven years ago. So a fantastic story there for Tom Lewis, but of course Tiger Woods being the the main story there. And I and have to again, I uh, fully endorse your comments there on Justin Rose. You know, just the ultimate pro. So much to admire about him uh, as a player, as a personality, as a figure, as a role model, and um, he's kind of um, exemplified all the good things about golf. And uh, he's um, yeah, he's. You know, fantastic, and I'm sure as he kind of his career, he's one of those guys who you, just, you expect him to be there, and you almost forget how good he is because he's relatively unassuming. But you know, he showed his 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 performances showcase just how good he is and how hard he's worked to get there, and it's fantastic. And Tiger again, you know, he's yeah, you know, what a story that was, and it really sets us up now, Matt. For as I touched on there, he's a reasonably reasonably big event this week well it's not just a big golf event it's obviously one of the biggest sporting events on the calendar it's the Ryder Cup of course coming from Le Golf National just outside Paris an incredible venue a fantastic golf course one of the most popular on the European tour regular host of the Open de France the French Open and we're now here for the Ryder Cup obviously the Americans are have travelled over from across the Atlantic. They're on European soil. They haven't won on European soil in 25 years. They, of course, won the Ryder Cup two years ago. Uh, Hazeltine fairly comfortably in the end there. A really important win for them after the Americans kind of had a, a crisis of uh, almost confidence and crisis of personality after Glen Eagles when they seemed to kind of lose their way and they weren't happy about how that kind of went in that week under the very seasoned captainship of uh, Tom Watson and... Um, 
they brought in their task force, as they called it, and they changed their their process. Basically, they emulated what the Europeans do in terms of succession, in terms of creating an environment that the players all are comfortable with. The captains are all kind of have come through the ranks of being vice captains, and it creates this kind of continuity and and all that sort of thing. They've basically emulated what the Europeans have done for the last 15, 20 years, and why the Europeans have really dominated the event. But also, I think ultimately, you know, the reason that the Americans won two years ago, we can kind of delve into all the systems and all the rest of it. But I think in the end, the Americans are getting better because they have better players than what they did. And you go back to when. Uh, America was crushed in 2004 and 2006 and those teams that they had then they weren't anywhere near as strong as what they were they have been in more recent years so the American teams now stronger than what it has been for a long time certainly this this week this year that's going to be the case once again you're a very seasoned a very experienced American team full of major champions and uh, guys with a great record and and whatnot and they will feel very confident of coming over here and, and achieving a result but Europe Europe always put together a formidable team you know, obviously there, there have been question marks uh, this year about a lot of the more seasoned campaigners for the European team guys who perhaps haven't quite hit the heights of previous years and you look at the likes of Sergio Garcia obviously one of the greatest Ryder Cup players of all time who hasn't quite had the year of his uh, of his dreams after winning the Masters last year, but you know, Sergio is always capable. Certainly in this format of uh, showing what is what he can do, we've seen Sergio come back from kind of you know poor places before. You know, in twenty ten he wasn't even on the team because he had real struggles with his game. He came back obviously and has been a, a stalwart for the European team in the years since. And obviously the likes of Ian Poulter coming back into the European reckoning after uh, missing out last time. A guy, of course, we all know what he's capable of. In this format, uh, the question is, can he kind of rekindle those memories of years gone by when he was really the, the talismanic figure, the guy who essentially kept Europe alive at Medina in 2012 on that Saturday afternoon, winning that last point, keeping them just in touch, motivational, just giving them a, a bit of hope. And of course, they carried it into that Sunday and achieved what was one of the most incredible sporting comebacks, I think, of all time, certainly in recent years, certainly in the history of golf. And it was certainly a Ryder Cup that few of us will ever, ever forget. And um, so the European team is always strong. They always come together well. They always put on a good show. And they will feel confident on this venue that they can reclaim the Ryder Cup. Um, but it's a really interestingly poised match. You know, two teams that are extremely strong. You know, the, the world's top ten players are all here. These are this is arguably the two strongest teams I've ever had in the Ryder Cup, certainly in a long time. Uh, so, Matt, but the, the Ryder Cup itself, that event, it transcends a bit like Tiger Woods, where it almost transcends golf, where it attracts sports fans. It's it's, it's biggest event on the calendar worldwide. It's watched by so many people who have no real interest in golf any other week of the year. You know, the Masters is great, the Open's fantastic, but somehow the Ryder Cup, every two years, it just catches the imagination of the sporting audience. But So Matt, as a, as a golf fan, as someone who loves sport, what is it about the Ryder Cup that you think connects with people so much? Why is this event so special to golf fans, but also to sports fans? I think I think there's a number of reasons why why the Ryder Cup does what it does to golf. Um, I think you know we're we're predominantly a we're we're not a team sport, right? In golf, and I think um, I think a lot of people enjoy. You know, I think I think you think of the most popular sports that are, are watched, played, whether it's in Europe or or, or in America. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're looking at football, rugby, cricket, perhaps. Um, and then over in America, you might have um, basketball, baseball, NFL, um, 
ice hockey, you know, all team sports. And all of a sudden you get a, what is an individual sport gets transformed into, um, into a, a, into a team sport for, for three days. Um, and I think you mix that with the fact that it's, um, you know, it's a nice to have that rivalry between Europe and, uh, and, and America. And, you know, this time, this time yesterday, there was probably, I'd say, 95% of Europeans wanted Tiger Woods to win last night. Um, myself included, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big Rory McIlroy fan. I'm a big Justin Rhodes fan, but I wanted Tiger to win last night. But now this morning, that goes out the window, and I hope that come the weekend, Tiger Woods gets an absolute shoo-in by one of our guys. Um, and this is, you know, and I think the, the the history that you have with the Ryder Cup, you know, you've you've got you've got the war on the shore, you've got the miracle of Medina, you've got, um, you know, so many different um, so many different memorable moments in the history of the Ryder Cup, which I think adds to the to the stature of the event. Um, and and like you say, you know, I think all sports have, um, you know, two or three, you know, you know, in golf we have the majors. They have, you know, they have the the the, um, the four majors in tennis. You've, you know, there's probably football people that don't maybe like football. They might tune into the Champions League final or the World Cup, European Championships. Um, you know, rugby. You know, some people might watch the Six Nations and nothing else. And, you know, the Ryder Cup is is, is that event to golf. Um, and I think it's good that it captures an audience that wouldn't normally watch a lot of golf, um, you know, because if it's going to help grow the game, then that's then that's fantastic. Um, and, yeah, you know, it's nice that we go and, and we take it to different courses. And I'm looking forward to seeing um, the Golf National and, and the show that those guys put on this week as well. Um, so I think there's no one real reason why why the Ryder Cup is is what it is as an event. I think is there's so many different factors that that you can kind of put into that, um, which makes it more compelling, which makes it more enjoyable. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm really really excited. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And I think the Ryder Cup, you know, as an event, obviously being a match play format, being a team event, you have that kind of head-to-head adversarial element that people love about sport whether it be individual you know, boxing or tennis and obviously football or any other team event where people love that one side against the other it adds a whole different dynamic to it where guys aren't playing necessarily for themselves they're playing for their team their tour their country their continent whatever else it's for the guy next to them and they're playing for the it adds a whole different element to the the psychology of it all for the guys themselves and the pressure they talk about you know it's an event where I'm not getting paid to be there it's not a it doesn't mean anything in terms of their individual you know, world ranking or individual you know, tally of wins but as an event it's distinct from anything else and the, the guys who are there they all get caught up in this atmosphere this kind of adrenaline rush around it some people might say it's a little bit overblown. It's become a little bit too big over the years. I think some of it's a little bit artificial and it seems a bit contrived. However, once you kick off on the Friday morning, it's it, it, you, know, you do buy into it because you have the atmosphere, the format itself, where being match play, being head-to-head, being team matches, you have this amazing kind of tension. And also the matches change so quickly. There's so much going on. We've seen tremendous momentum shifts and, and one match to another one. The atmosphere almost carries through the whole the whole course. And it, it, we've had wonderful shifts in, in drama through the years. You know, great 
you know, excitement, and particularly, and and certainly the last couple. Well, the last couple of Ryder Cups may be a little bit more one-sided, but certainly you go back to 2012, 2010. You know, those matches are right down, right down to the wire. That's the best drama you can possibly get one on that last day. You have those twelve singles matches, and anything can happen, as we have seen through the years. Whether it be at Medina, whether it be at Brookline in '99 when the Americans reversed that deficit to win there. So, and you said there about the history. And, you know, this is the fortieth Ryder Cup. There's been essentially 80 years of history. But, but in the last 30 years, the, the event has become incredibly large and just grown all the time where once the European players came on board, the, the European team of the 80s was extremely strong. You're winning in 85, then in 87. And really since then, it's been a very competitive match. Of course, Europe began to dominate it in the uh, turn of this century. But the Americans kind of got their swagger back and it's made the event you know, much more compelling now. And I look at these two teams where I can't really separate them. Uh, we can maybe look on paper and say more of the American guys are perhaps have more wins this year and that sort of thing. But I think in terms of the the way the teams are, are laid out and what the European team consistently has done through the years, you, you can't really underestimate them. So looking at the European team specifically, Matt, right now, obviously we go back to two years ago at Hazeltine where it wasn't a great week. A very disappointing defeat. A lot of guys didn't play very well. Uh, but this team is radically different. There are only four players from uh, 2012 who are in the team this year, which is Rory McIlroy, Justin Rose. Uh, you also have uh, Henry Stenson and Sergio Garcia, who are two wildcard picks. Everybody else is either a rookie or they are a returning player, like Molinari or like uh, Paul Casey, who's back after 10 years, or indeed... Ian Poulter, but obviously we have the five newbies, the rookies into the team as they're always called, Tyrrell Hatton, Tommy Fleetwood, John Ram, Alex Noren and Tjobjorn Olderson. That's a pretty formidable five players right there. You know, that's, that's a very strong unit right there. So when you look at these the players right now, Matt, looking at the more, the more seasoned campaigners, even some of the younger guys too, who do you think will emerge this week? You know, through the years, we've always seen guys on the course become the leader. Whether it be Seve back in the day, or even Nick Faldo who led by example back in the day, or even Lee Westwood or Colin Montgomery, they've always been kind of the on-course captain. You mentioned your admiration for Justin Rose and Rory McIlroy, but who do you see emerging this week as being Europe's on-course captain? Um, I'm I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure that we're going to see one in particular. Um, I think there's there's two players that jump out on the list for me. Um, that could have that could have huge Ryder Cups, um, and I think one of them being Tyrrell Hatton. Um, I think this guy, he's. I, I think when it comes to you, look at the way that he carries himself on a golf course normally on a you know on a on a four day event, a stroke play event when it's just him. Um, you know, I, I know that he potentially can rub some people up the wrong way. Um, me, my, myself personally, it's just my opinion. I don't have an issue with it because I think he's got himself to where he is um, through doing exactly that. And I, I would, I would say to myself, like, you know, who, who am I to question what he's doing um, because he's achieving so much by doing it. Um, but I just think that that extra fire in his belly that he has, I think, could, could, could he be the next Ian Poulter, for example? Um, and I do think he's got he's got everything in the locker to to have a good good few days. I hope he gets I hope he gets chances to get out early as well. Um, so he would be one, and, and the other one would be Tommy Fleetwood. Um, I love the fact that Tommy's gone over to to America um, and more than held his own uh, on that tour. And Tommy Fleetwood to me is, is somebody 
whilst he, he desperately does need a haircut, regardless of what anybody Controversial. says. Controversial. He is, he is, <laughs> he is, he is someone to me that he, he could, he could bogey, he could bogey the first three holes in a, in a, in a competition and go mm. on and shoot a 61 or a 62. I, I just, I always get the feeling with him that, that it doesn't matter how bad he's playing. Tomorrow he'll get up and shoot a 62. And and it's just he's just got that bit around him that he just seems to you know he just seems to always do it he he's consistently been playing well now for yep. you know two years um, and I think it could be a perfect time for him to you know kind of come into this Ryder Cup maybe under the radar a little bit with you know all the talk of Rory Justin Tiger Phil um, you know and I, I think yeah but well, why not sweeping under the radar and. You know, we've we've seen it in the past with players like uh, Thomas Peters, Nicholas Colsarts, um, that have come into the Ryder Cup and played really, really well, and then they've kind of just—I wouldn't say disappeared, but they've just drifted away slightly. Um, and I don't think this is going to be the case with Tommy Fleetwood. I think he's he's here to stay, and he's he's going to have hopefully he'll have a he'll have a good 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 few days over the weekend so they they would be my two to kind of look out for in terms of um you know because these guys potentially are the, are the future as well you know they're going to be around for another 10 12 years hopefully in Ryder Cups um you know and, and they will you know hopefully they'll they'll soak up a lot from you know the four that you previously mentioned Rory um Justin Sergio Henrik Stenson um, you know, and, and kind of just absorb everything that these guys can, can offer them in terms of experience. Um, yeah, that's 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 my thoughts on it. You know, those those two are the ones for Yeah, to I think that's a great point. And there's so many players in the European team where you think who could become that kind of breakthrough figure that you mentioned there, like Thomas Peters or Nicholas Colesart or guys like that through the years. They, they kind of the new guys who seem to disconnect with the whole event the atmosphere a little bit like Ian Poulter has over the years Ian Poulter I know he's you know a limited player by his technique and, and by how he plays but he's always overcome that and he's always done so incredibly well for the years as an individual but in this event he's always become a another player altogether you know Colin Montgomery seemed to putt far better in the Ryder Cup than he did anywhere else he's one of these guys these guys just seem to connect with this event the atmosphere the shift in perspective I guess as well with the pressure and someone like Tyrrell Hatton where with the right personality alongside him he could really thrive in this likewise with John Ramp another temperamental figure but so brilliantly gifted and so brilliantly talented and skilled and capable of absolutely anything on a golf course he could be another player like that Tommy Fleet was a bit more of the cool customer, the guy who you kind of you can rely upon, more dependable, perhaps almost Justin Rose like, I guess, in the way he plays. You know, supreme ball striker, just you know, a guy who can do anything on a golf course. And I think he will really enjoy this environment where and even some of the other kind of more outside fringe guys like Alex Noran, who is such a consistent winner over the last few years, a guy who's kind of peaked late in his career, but could be a formidable player. You know, he's a guy you could underrate and could proved to be a wonderful player in match play and Torbjorn Olsen who a guy who's one is pretty years has been one of these players who he's capable of being extremely good or drifting away if he has one of his hot weeks he can be formidable so he's one to watch as well the question of course is to who who gets paired with who we won't, we won't know that until the Thursday afternoon in the opening ceremony there who's going to be paired with who in the opening session and, and just how important the opening session is which will be uh, foursomes this year uh, was evident uh, Two years ago, when America won 4-0, you know, a clean sweep in that opening Friday morning, and that 
pretty much set the tone. Even though Europe came back a little bit going into Saturday, in the end, that deficit was just too much to overcome. And at that early start, gave America a real foundation. It was like losing a goal in the first minute of a game. It completely just changes the whole dynamic of it. And uh, a repeat of that would be obviously to be avoided if you are Thomas Bjorn. So I think the European team is very intriguing right now. It's very strong. It's a fascinating mix of youth and experience. I know people kind of concern themselves about who's played well this year, who hasn't in the end. The Red Cup is a, little, is a different event. It's about who is the best match player, who is the best for that environment, the, that atmosphere, the team room, everything there. Who can embrace the situation and deal with that pressure? And different people can handle that. And I think Thomas Bjorn has went for the, obviously with his picks, he went for the more seasoned heads, whether that was correct or not will be proven in the long run, but I think you can understand the logic behind that. And, and interesting to see just how much, how often those four guys, Casey, Garcia, Poulter, Stenson, how involved they are over the first two days. Uh, so the, the, the pairings are always fascinating. They will certainly be interesting for Thomas Bjorn this week. But moving on to the American team now, obviously, Matt, I know, you know Tiger obviously coming in now has been, the again, the winner of the Tour Championship. You know, there's so many formidable American players. You know, Brooks Kepka, two-time major winner this year. Very strong Ryder Cup player in his debut two years ago. You know, Dustin Johnson, world number one. Uh, um, Justin Thomas is there as well as a rookie, which is incredible given his success over the past couple of years. But this is his first Ryder Cup. Patrick Reed, who hasn't necessarily had the most exhilarating of seasons after winning the Masters, of course, back in April. Really, since then, he hasn't done that much. But as we've seen in the past couple of Ryder Cups, he's a guy who... When these people who maybe like Ian Poulter somehow this event just connects with his personality and he 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 lets out his inner kind of fire and he becomes this other demon altogether. His record has been quite incredible. You know, six wins and one loss in the Ryder Cup so far. Bubba Watson, a less than stellar Ryder Cup record, a guy who we interest to see how they accommodate him. Obviously, an, an extraordinary player hasn't always done so well in this event. Jordan Spieth, who you know, Matt, you touched on there earlier on about his form this year, hasn't quite hit the heights. He failed to qualify for the Tour Championship, hasn't putted as well as he has done this year. Shown vulnerability, as we saw in the back nine at the Open this year, where he was in the lead, but really wasn't a factor once the, the pressure came on. So maybe this could be the week that Jordan gets back to what we know he's capable of and kind of reasserts himself in this format alongside perhaps Patrick Reader, who he's paired with so successfully in the past. So the American team obviously has a lot of experience there. Ricky Fowler's there too. Webb Simpson's back this year, the player's champion of this season. And of course, with his four picks, Jim Furyk went for Bryson DeChambeau, who won twice in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Phil Mickelson, who, of course, seems to pick himself in the Ryder Cups these days, but he, he was there again. Again, a guy with the longest standing kind of tenure in the Ryder Cup. Hasn't quite played that well of late. Uh, interesting to see what he can actually, if he'll be a weak link. Mind you, if Phil Mickelson is your weak link in the Ryder Cup team, clearly it's a very strong side. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, you're Tiger Woods, um, obviously... A guy who perhaps the Ryder Cup hasn't always been um, an event where he showed his best golf through the years, but I think this is a very different Tiger Woods now where he's experienced, he's more seasoned, his perspective has changed, he gets on so well with so many of these younger players. This year we've heard an awful lot about his relationship with uh, Bryce and DeChambeau. That seems a potential pairing right there where Tiger spent a lot of time with him because uh, DeChambeau's a bit of an oddity in some ways where he hasn't quite, doesn't quite connect with the other players, perhaps, but some of the other younger guys. Maybe a little bit like um, what Paul McGinley did with Graham McDowell and Victor Dubuisson at Glen Eagles, where he sort of 
had the two of them almost shadowing him for the season, getting to know him, getting comfortable with him. So once the Ryder Cup came, they had a surefire uh, pairing right there. And I think DeChambeau and Wood seems a, a possibility. And Tony Fina, a guy who hasn't won an awful lot, but performance-wise, he's one of the most consistent players in America and has all the tools, power, You know, a, a wonderful player, a guy who could be a real asset on this really challenging golf course. So, Matt, looking at the American team right now, Obviously, a lot of experience there. A lot of guys who have played well this year. Some guys, perhaps, that are question marks on, like like Mickelson or Spieth and or Bubba Watson. But who are the players that you look at the American team as a European golfer and you feel the most intimidated by? Who do you feel could do some damage for the Americans this weekend? Um, that's a difficult question. I think. Um, I think. Look, I think any. I think nobody would want to go um, go and play against Tiger Woods right now. That's that's a given. Um, that being said, his his record in match play and Ryder Cup isn't isn't the greatest. Um, look, who who if I if I was on the European team, who wouldn't I want to go and play right now? Um, I think the I think the three main ones to me would be probably Dustin Johnson, um, Brooks Kepka, and Justin Thomas. Um, I think those three guys, but look, they're 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 strong, you know. Jordan Spieth, you know, can just almost click a finger and start holding putts from absolutely anywhere, um, and that's you know in match play, that's how that's how matches are won and lost. Um, you know, Brooks Koepka's a, a, a two-time major champion this year. Um, you know, he's he's had a bad week this week, um, but again, the guy, you know, he's he's an, he can rip the golf ball as far as you can, you know, probably further than what I go on my holidays. Um, and you don't, you know, you're not, you're not a two-time major champ for, for 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 nothing this year. So you know, Dustin Johnson, he he had a good finish to this week as well. So I mean, look, let's let's. I, I think the European team looks strong. Um, I like the I, I like the makeup of the team. I think the the blend of the the, the experience and inexperience um, is is good. But you know, I'm trying to keep my feet on the ground a little bit. I think the American team is very strong. Um, I think they're. You know their their form players have got experience as well in the Ryder Cup, um, and I think that probably trumps the European team a little bit on that front. Um, and I think you know, as as I say, the you know when it comes to the singles, if if um, you know if, if USA went out with Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Koepka, that's that's there's five of your best players in the world right now. Um, so it's you know. Is they've they've got strength throughout their team, um, so it would be difficult to pick out any one or two. But um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll just have to wait and see what happens come the weekend. But in, interestingly, I think it's the first time ever that all of the golfers in the top ten world rankings are playing at the Ryder Cup. Um, I think Jason Day has dropped out of the top ten. Um, yeah, so we've got uh, you know ten of the best, you know, the ten best golfers in the world. Um, going up against each other this weekend. So um, if that doesn't wet your whistle, <laughs> yeah, I don't well, know what will. Yes, consider my whistle truly wetted at that possibility. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, you know, obviously two extremely strong teams. And actually, it's funny where for all year I've sort of thought the American team looked very strong and they still do. But in the last sort of couple of weeks, I've been looking at the European team thinking, you know what? I kind of fancy them to do quite well this week. I feel some guys have, yeah, I feel some yeah, guys have a sure. point to prove. 
they'll be looking to do that. I feel the younger players that they have, the newer players, I think they're all very exciting in different ways. I think they're all capable of doing extremely well. So I think the European team, we, we kind of know what to expect from the American team. But I think there's a few kind of wild cards in the European team. Whether it be the older guys kind of getting back to form or the younger guys showing what they're capable of, I think there's a a few kind of wild card personalities in there who might just uh, surprise some people and uh, and pick up some vital points. But in the end, as you touched on there about guys holding putts from anywhere, you know, the Ryder Cup as its match play is so much about timing, doing things at the right moment, and. Um, having that sense of occasion and um, the sense of when to do the right thing at the right time. And that's something that is, all, is essential in any sport, particularly one that's head-to-head. And the Ryder Cup is that event. And um, so I think it's um, really compelling. You know, the matches, I think, will be very close one way or the other. I think it's, uh, if you you can look at, in, there's almost two different Ryder Cups within one. There's the the pairs going head-to-head with a partner by your side. Then there's a the singles on Sunday with 12 points up for grabs. There's almost two different events. And I feel that for the European team, I think it's important that they get the most out of what they can. I feel they're stronger as a pair, as pairings than what the Americans are. And I feel as individuals that the Americans might actually do quite well, particularly you mentioned that top half of players, I think they'll be quite hard to beat. So for the European team, I think it's important that they don't go into Sunday behind. Uh, but that said, I think that's the same for the Americans too. I think it's they will... I think there will be no more than a couple of points between the teams going into Sunday. I feel it will be very close throughout. I, I can't see there being a 4-0 blowout in one session. I can't see one team stretching away on Saturday. I feel it's going to be very close throughout and uh, very tense, very exciting. And in the end, as a as somebody who who follows the game, you want that's what you want, first of all, as a close match, an exciting match. You know, it wouldn't be any fun if it was... you know, a win by nine points like it was back or 10 points like it was back in um, you know back in 2004 2006 which were kind of blowout wins very comfortable there wasn't really any drama there I think that's what we want first of all is get, get the drama back in the Ryder Cup you know two years ago America won quite handily in the end two years before that the European team were very convincing you know the, the American team that week Glenn Eagles was very flat and it, it didn't really work and so I think let's get the Ryder Cup kind of back to 2012, 2010 levels of excitement, tension, drama, last hole, kind of last match, excitement. And imagine if we end up with, I don't know, Tiger Woods and Rory going head-to-head in the last match to win the Ryder Cup. You know I mean? That's, that'd be a dream. Or maybe it's going to be someone else. Maybe it's going to be a, a, perhaps a surprise player coming through and emerging as being the, the main guy. Maybe a maybe an Alex Norman, perhaps. He could be the, the Jamie Donaldson of this year, come through and win that secure, that, secure that final point. So who knows? It's going to be fascinating. It's going to be fantastic. You know, the Ryder Cup, so much build-up to it, so much talk. Really, we can't talk about any specifics because there's so much to talk about and really not very much because an awful lot said. There's not much to say because really until it kicks off, we don't really know anything. And once it kicks off, it's like a roller coaster. It's so fast and furious. It's over very quickly, but it's uh, it's wonderfully exciting. You know, there's nothing else quite like it. It's relentless. And that's what makes the Ryder Cup the most compelling three days of golf every two years and perhaps even the most compelling three days of sport uh, any two years. You know, it's consistently a tremendous event. So but obviously, Matt, you touched on there. You're looking forward to seeing um, the golf national. And I sort of asked you this question to kind of think about going into today, which would be the Ryder Cup's been to so many fantastic venues and golf courses and settings and cities through the years. But if you were to kind of in your fantasy imagine a Dream Ryder Cup. You know, if you could take the Ryder Cup to any golf course, any city, any venue in the in Europe or in America, where would it be in future? We, we heard just the other day, bizarrely enough, that the twenty thirty six Ryder Cup is going to Congressional in Washington DC. I mean, really, eighteen years from now, we know the Ryder Cups 
how far ahead's that? I'm not, you know, if we're all still here, Matt, in 18 right. years, we're doing well, I think. So, <laughs> but, yeah. um, first of yeah, back to the question there. So, a Dream Rider Cup, where would you play it? Um, I, I would love to see the Ryder Cup go to mm-hmm. um, a Lynx course. Um, I think it would be nice to, you know, take take the Ryder Cup to to the roots of 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 golf. You know, I'm not saying have it at, uh, at, at the old course, but you know, what? Why not get it? You know, yeah, what? Why? What? Why not? You know, what? Why not get it up? At, you know, I think whether it's in whether it's in Scotland or Ireland, I think you know, there's there's you know, the the two countries around the coast, all around the coast, are just absolutely riddled with stunning links golf courses. Um, and I just think, why, why not get them, you know, why, why not get them up to one of the, you know, iconic links courses, you know, maybe something off the open rover, you know, let's, let's, yeah, let's, let's, you know, get them, get them around Carnoustie in end of September. I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll love that. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I like to see. I, I think it makes, I think it makes mm-hmm. a really good viewing as well. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think what the golf national have done with the first tee this week, apparently oh, there's going to be 30,000 spectators around the first tee. Um, you know, but I, I think I think Lynx Golf makes for good watching. So you know, yeah, why, why not? Why why not get them on the get them on a nice old old school Lynx course, and you know, hopefully the wind can pump up and we get a bit of rain, and we, you know, we see a proper battle. Yeah, That's I, what I I'd completely like. agree. I think Lynx Golf, by its nature, adds a whole different element to it, literally with the various elements there, and uh, I think it adds another kind of unpredictability to it. And uh, with obviously the weather and the conditions, it's a different challenge, and becomes not. Ju- in that occasion, it would be not just one team against the other, one player against the other. It would be those same players against the weather, against the golf course, and it would add a whole different element to it. I think it would be fantastic. And actually, you mentioned Carnoustie. The, the year that Glen Eagles was confirmed as a Radicut Cup venue for 2014, Carnoustie was also in the running that year. And I feel it's a great shame. I know Glen Eagles is a fantastic hotel and a great setting and whatnot, but I feel the Open at Carnoustie, as we saw this year at the Open, sorry, the, the Radicut Cup at Carnoustie, as so this year at the Open, you know, it's a wonderful venue, a great golf course. That that last few holes, so much can happen there. Uh, probably the hardest finishing stretch in golf. Certainly didn't play that way this year because of the conditions, but and generally it is. I feel it'd be a fantastic Ryder Cup venue. Even the old course. I mean, what a setting that would be having the crowds almost like a stadium all around the outside of the golf course. Looking in, it would be just you could turn it into a real amphitheater all the way around, just by the old course's nature being how narrow it is as a piece of land. That would be a fantastic setting. And again, any of them, even some of the courses in Northern Ireland where you have the likes of Royal County Down that's never hosted an Open before, maybe maybe never will. It's, it's hosted the Walker Cup. It would be a great way to kind of showcase that venue and, and again, another reward for that, that part of the world. So, yeah, I think that would be my uh, that'd be my kind of choice to be taking the, the Ryder Cup to a real classic venue that delivers as a golf course, delivers something a little bit different and, and really adds to the whole aura of the event and I feel that like you took to Carnoustie or to the old course or to Birkdale or something like that where it has been before I think it would be just uh, you know, wonderful so yeah I completely endorse that but the Golf National as you said there you know is a fantastic golf course great venue incredible city it's going to be a great setting as I've touched on before it's actually a review of the Golf National on uh, the Golf Sheet website and also on the YouTube channel we'll, we'll link that to the main article on the site for the, for the podcast it's worth checking out just to get kind of an on the ground feel of what that golf course is like and as Matt touched on there 
I mean, the, the stands around the first tee, they get bigger and bigger every single time. But this year, I mean, they're truly enormous. The atmosphere on Friday morning is going to be just spectacular. So, yes, set your alarms. 6.30 in the morning, it all kicks off uh, from the Ryder Cup uh, from the Golf National. It's going to be just an incredible event. You know, we, we've talked about it on this podcast here. There's so much to kind of, so much build up to enjoy leading up to it. So many different events, obviously, with the opening ceremony and whatnot. It's an event where... As we said, it touched, it transcends golf. It becomes something on our level. It's going to be tremendous, and I look forward to it always. So, Matt, I hate to do this to you, but I feel it's necessary. What's your prediction then? Who is going to lift the Ryder Cup on Sunday evening? Uh, but Europe. do you have a points prediction or not? Are you going to think is it by two points or three points or four points no. or just? <laughs> no, it's, it's it's going to be very close. It's going to be by no more than okay. Three points, but Europe win Joel. the World Cup just, uh, and and I think and I think because I think there's three or four um, players on the American team that aren't playing as well as yeah, if you was to rank the teams from one to twelve, um, I think the I think there's say the last five players on Team Europe are probably playing. Slightly better than the last five players on mm-hmm. Team USA at the yeah. moment. I know that can change, but you asked me, you will put me on a spot, and I've got a question for you um, because you know I'm, I'm an avid listener to the podcast, and you know it's it's all well and good that you you know over the last year or so you've been doing a podcast, you sit and you fire questions at, at co-hosts and guests, and um, and I thought to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to tell him. I'm going to put him on the spot, um, and I'm going to say to you. Um, Yep. You're in Team Europe. You're going out first mm-hmm. on Friday morning. Which team member do you want to decide? Oh, on? that that is good. That is good. Um, if I'm going to the first match, and the first match has always been so important in the Ryder Cup through the years. Remember the the kind of the great pairings of the past that kind of kicked it all off and the defining first point. Um, if I was going out in the, on the first tee in the Ryder Cup, if I was, oh, you know, I'm going to pick a surprise name. Perhaps a little bit. I'm going to pick Henrik Stenson. I think he's. I think he's a cool customer. I think he's a great personality. I think he has a tremendous game. If you're playing a forces match with him, he's a great driver of the ball. Iron play when he's on, he's arguably the best in the world. So I think Stenson is a guy as a as a player I would love to play with because I feel he's someone who, first of all, he's extremely good. But I think as a personality where he 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 would kind of blend well. So he would be my he be my guy. So I'm going to actually re- reverse it then. You've asked the question. I've answered your question. I've given you a good answer, I think. I think, yeah, I was put on the spot there. I, I thought about that one there. So how about you then? Who would be your, your dream partner for that first match then? Well, I'd, I'd, I just I think Henrik Stenson is a great choice. Um, personally, I think I'd, I'd probably mm-hmm. go with Justin Rose. Um, I just I just find that, you know, he's, he's probably he's yeah. going to find a fair way for you. Um, and I think I think that's so important. Um, so yeah, I'd I'd go with Justin Rose, and I think he's probably you know you you look at the you look at the team. I think he's you know he's probably the most experienced. He's he's achieved the most, and I, I think that there's no 
Um, I don't think there's any scenario that he would walk into and and kind of get nervous, get panicky. I think he'll, I think he'll just kind of take it in his stride somewhat. And you know, I think yeah, if I was if I was in that position, I think that's the guy I'd. No, want it's a good question, and me. I think I think it's a, a good choice too. He probably went number number two on my list there. And actually, Stenson and Rose are two good pals, and have played well together in the past. I wouldn't be surprised if we see them together. Certainly, if you're kind of chasing a, a session, perhaps, and maybe on Saturday afternoon require some points, they could be kind of the more the kind of sure fire, kind of sure guaranteed almost point you can get there, or certainly a half point. Those two guys would be very hard to beat together. But yeah, I think Rose and Stenson are two of the, the steadiest players, two of the most reliable players, and two of the best ones. And I think they're going to be real stars this week too. Henrik's obviously had some injury problems, but I think he's going to emerge as being perhaps the maybe the, maybe the, the best of the the wild cards. We'll have to wait and see. Time will tell. But yeah, I think it's going to be fantastic. You've predicted Europe to win at the start of the year. I said the USA would win. Uh, every year, I keep saying, I know I will. Shame every year, I always say I, I would love to see a draw because I think <laughs> I want to see the reaction to a draw. I know that's the case. America retains a cup, but I think 14-14, just for my I, I, my kind of humorous side, I'd love to kind of see <laughs> how people react to kind of the weird sort of non-event feel of a draw. It hasn't happened since 1989. It's been close a few times. It could have happened at Medina in 2012. <laughs> but it didn't quite happen. So if that happens again, who knows how people will react to that? A bit kind of unsatisfying, but no. I, I thought America all the year were going to win this. But in the last couple of weeks, I'm edging towards Europe, and I feel that Europe might just show us what they're, what they're about in this event. And I feel they might just reassert themselves and reclaim their Ryder Cup. Either way, I think it will be very close like you do, and I think it's going to be a... Either way, it's going to be a great spectacle. So I hope everybody... Listening to the podcast today enjoys the Ryder Cup, follows the coverage. It will have a website on Golf Shake and, and social media. And of course, if you're inspired to go out and play in the, uh, this weekend uh, after the Ryder Cup or before it or whatever else, um, as always, get involved with the Golf State, Golf State Score Tracker. You'll record your stats, your scores, your rounds. Um, so a, sh- a great way of trying to improve your game. We're still in September. If the weather holds up, it can be a nice kind of end of the season as we can approach the autumn. Um, so hopefully the, the Ryder Cup proves to be inspirational to you. So we thank you as always for listening, but also, I must quickly say, of course, we thank Matt for joining once again. So Matt, thank you for joining me on the Golf Shake podcast. Hope you uh, en- enjoyed your yes. Uh, well, pleasure, pleasure to have always. you as always. And uh, for once, we actually get through it without any technical problems. <gasps> I hope. Oh yeah, hey, that's it. See, yeah. look, if that can happen, well, surely Europe will win the Ryder Cup from here. That's it. You know, it's the input. See, Tiger won again on the tour. We we we, keep, we, we got through this podcast without any technical problems. Well, it's like it's a wonderful start to the week. So perhaps it'll end with uh, Thomas Bjorn lifting the Ryder Cup aloft. We shall wait and see. So my name is Kieran Clark, alongside Golf Shakes Ambassador Matt Holbrook. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We hope you sit back and. Uh, on your most comfortable sofa and enjoy the Ryder Cup this weekend. It's going to be a tremendous spectacle from the Golf National. We thank you for listening. And until next time, thank you for listening. Bye-bye.